Hey listeners, it's Joe here. I just wanted to say that this recording took place on the 2nd of June. This was several days before the horrific flooding due to the explosion at the Novokakovka Dam. As a result, our mood is far more upbeat and jovial, as likely otherwise would have been. We still hope you enjoy this episode to bring a bit of humour at this time. Our thoughts are with the people of Kherson, and we encourage you to donate to efforts to help the people suffering due to Russia's latest acts. Slava Ukraine. You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TOEFO CEO, and Joe Place. Hello and welcome to today's podcast, live from a tank that is very echoey <laughs> and live from Kiev, London, and in an hour, Washington. Please welcome Matt and Joe hosting this week's NAFO podcast. Echo. That was beautiful. That was the best was intro brilliant. I think had. You gave that <laughs> your all. That was everything went into that. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go buy some bread. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> so there you go. That you was got... the best one ever. That was the best one. Crap, we should have them do it every week. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. This has made my last, my one from last week sound terrible. Absolutely terrible. Oh, no. I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> oh, yeah, also one correction. I'm not in Kiev, actually. I'm in Ozhgorod, which is quite far away from Kiev. But yeah. Do you want to know something funny? It is quicker for me to get to London from here than it is to get to Kiev. <laughs> really? Yeah, because the train takes 16 hours to Kiev from Ozhgorod. But like, I can cross the border and get a plane in like 12? 16 total? hours. 16 hour train, yeah. Ooh. So that's lots of changes, is that right? Nope, one train the whole way. It's just um, the thing is, what the reason it's partly so slow, like the first like two hours are it, it loop because of where Ushgrud is, it doesn't go straight, it goes all mm. the way around, it goes like south, okay. west, ah, and, okay. and on the border, and then back up through the mountains. So going the mountains is quite slow. <gasps> I bet that'd be awesome, though. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's very romantic. It's um, yeah, and the train, I love it. I actually like the trains in Ukraine, apart from uh, sometimes. Uh, it can get really hot inside, uh, either in the winter because the heating's blaring, or in the mm-hmm. summer because the aircon isn't working or something. Like that. I mean, they, they they're old school trains, right? So even that aircon is a bit uh, okay. Tempting. But it's lovely. You know, you have a bed, and uh, you can get tea and coffee for nothing. Or like sometimes they'll sneakily sell beer to you if you really want a nice cold beer. And usually you stop off in a few places, and there's like little shops you can run to. Not so much now because of curfew, but before. Um, used to be able to do. We that. need these. We need these trains in the UK. Oh, trains are ridiculous in the UK. I know. That's embarrassing. It is, and it's a fraction of the price. But yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, 
So what have you been, anything exciting since last week when we spoke? Anything? Well, there's lots of exciting things in Ukraine, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but I've not been doing anything particularly interesting. There's lots of reports coming back in from um, horrible people online, getting distinctly fed up with left-wing tankies. Really fed up. Really, really fed up. Have you know we, had, I, like we get every time there is something going worse for Russia, we definitely get a wave. Like they, they always congregate. They'll come up. We get a wave of nonsense, and then it will calm down. It's, yeah, it's weird. But this this wave was clearly, clearly based around Roger Waters. Oh yeah, yeah. So if, and it was just awful. Absolutely, and everyone I've spoken to has feels guilty because they've all got his records and right. listened to his music, and you know, yeah. and what happened? I know. You know, I. I you know, my, my dad raised me on Pink Floyd. It was one of my favourite bands growing up as a teenager, especially. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dave Gilmore, at least, stands with Ukraine very strongly. Yes, he does. And, yes, and he does. And absolutely hates Rob, uh, Roger. Yes, uh, he Waters, does. Which yeah. is fantastic. But it's yeah. just... But you, you know, it's whenever he says anything, you know what's going to come out, what's going to happen. Mm. And it is. It's a tidal wave, a tidal wave of NATO proxy war. Why can't they just negotiate? You know, and it's go away. You never talk to anyone from Ukraine, and yeah. you're hideously anti-Semitic as well. And right. You just and, and just, just and go on, away. On that thing, like he always goes, "Oh, you can't criticize Israel." I was like, "Yes, you can perfectly criticize Israel. I criticize but, Israel quite often, but you know, I don't know the things that he does say and has said. It's like." Mm, yeah, no, that is just anti-Semitism, mate. That's not anti... It's not even anti-Zionism, whatever you want to call that, but, you know, it's genuinely full-on anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a hor- he seems to be a horrible person. And they go, oh, you know, but you're not allowed to criticise it. That's a criticism. You've just done it. <laughs> it's like, can you not see what you are doing? You know? Uh, no, they can't. And we know they can't because what they do to Israel, they are now doing to Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. It's, just it's like the same tactics over and over again. It's yeah. saying that if you want to make any statement that automatically you are somehow or you're without agency, you're I've or you're or you're supporting something terrible, that you're defending something terrible. Yes. Uh, or yes. you're at the whims of some evil Western force or the yeah. or globalist Jewish bankers, whatever the hell you yes. want. Yes. I mean? And it, this sort of conspiracy theory, left-wing conspiracy theory is Deep, I think is deeply rooted in anti-Semitism, yeah. um, but they are unable to see it. Uh, and it goes back to the elders of Zion, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. which incidentally also came from Russia. Yes, it did. Yeah, um, yeah, it was made by the Tsarist Russia to yeah, some sort of Clark wrote it, I think. Yeah, um, just but I'm hoping we can <laughs> get another guest in to talk about Eastern European Jewish people and Ukraine specifically. Fingers crossed for that one. Yes. Um, very interesting topic yeah yeah um but yes roger waters there so it was just a tidal wave of crap basically that's yeah. what I, that's what that's what I, the online life has been like this week isn't it let's be honest yeah. mick oh. wallace is mick wallace george galloway you can name it they're all trying to set up events and yeah. oh yeah this big push of events now and stop the war as well they're all trying to do it but it's what yeah. at least a lot of them are free to attend and free to register. You don't even need real email addresses. I was making them up. And unless some very unfortunate people have now got some tickets to some events. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Like, it's also well. quite, 
it's also quite handy in that you can see the links between who is involved with who, if you see what I mean. Right. So who talks to who outside of the meetings because they seem to like gathering together and, and spouting nonsense to each other and then applauding each other. But mm -hmm. they don't seem to realise that you can then see who is working with who and why they're working with that person. And Anyway, it's up to them. That's up to them. Yeah. Free Our speech is, and all that. Yeah. Our role is to... This is exactly what NAFO is meant to be stepping up for. You know, it's to combat this nonsense online and yep, show, exactly. show people what they are. Yeah. That, you know, these aren't good faith people. I mean, they, they, they might rope in good faith people as part mm -hmm. of Stop the War and whatnot, but they are being led by people who haven't got mm -hmm. good intentions. They're not got good intentions. These aren't people no. who, like, genuinely want peace. They have been, they think this is the way for peace, but it's, it's, just... There's a there's a there's a new one that's just arrived in in my inbox uh, yesterday I think uh, in Vienna, so it gives you a long list of the International Peace Bureau, Nobel laureate things like that. So and you go oh, okay that might be might be okay. So you, you keep going down that group oh, okay, peace this peace that oh, oh, fair enough. And then you get to the bottom and it's like Claire Daly and you go oh, right. Man. So that's not that's not going to be. The, uh, a pro-Ukrainian stand with Ukraine type thing if Claire Daly is attending. And then no. you also see that Lula official is going as well. So the president of Brazil is going to be on the same um, platform as Claire Daly. And you just go, <sighs> oh, so we know whose side he's on because he is speaking at the same thing as her. And it's, yeah. you know, when, the, when these people turn up, you just go, just, just cancel it because it's nothing good can come out of it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, so that's what's going on in Tankyland. But what yeah, else yeah. has been going on lately? Obviously, um, well, today and yesterday, there's been Belgorod again, uh, the People's Republic of Belgorod, I should mm -hmm. say. B yeah, BNR or BPR? BNR, BNR. That BNR? Is the, that's what Ukrainians are calling it as well. Okay, so, okay. okay, so what, what does the N stand for, please? Uh, Belhood National Republic. Basically. National Republic. Yeah, I, I didn't know if we were going for People's Republic, Democratic Republic, or yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, cool. think, we'll I think I think we, we, we could go like full communist in like the Belgrade People's Democratic Republic or something like this. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Or we could divide it in two. We could have the southern one and the northern <laughs> one as well. Let's yeah. go for it. You know? Oh dear. Look, one go. thing British people are good at doing is dividing countries with arbitrary yeah. lines. So I think yes. we'd be we'd pros at this. We, yeah, we well, we tend to just get rulers, don't we? Or follow yeah. rivers. So, yeah. yeah. You know, when like people are talking about, oh, we need to decolonize Russia and they have all these maps of like different languages and stuff or different yeah, yeah, regions. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. nah, leave it to the probes. Just a straight line one way, a big straight line another. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, just, you just look at the, the USA and Africa. They're our, yeah. You can tell that Britain designed those, can't you? <laughs> Everything, if it's not a square, it's because there's a river. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, can't be bothered with anything too complicated. Straight lines or rivers, the end. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There seems to be some more incursions back into Belgorod. I, I, I don't really know what's going on. I think we're going to see this for a while. As I said last time, and I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen next. They definitely seem to be trying to draw Russia out of shape, I think, is what the technical term is. I think so it's pull very, them out of shape. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's to make them scared, you know, or oh, where should we put our troops, where should we put Yeah, our exactly, forces? yes. Yeah, yeah, if they have any. Because <laughs> um, the, yeah. we, we can cover my copium now, because it fits in quite nicely. In okay, that, um, yeah, yeah. 
Did you see uh, President Putin's address to the people of Ilhorod? I actually did not. So I'm interested <gasps> to tell me about this. You must, you must watch it because it's absolutely brilliant. So in some countries, it's called a deer in the headlights. In some countries, it's called a rabbit in the headlights. But now there's Putin in the headlights because <laughs> I've never seen anything. The, the guy is going, I don't know, he looked, just looked like he was in shock or in in a haze or daze or something and he would basically said mm, i'm really sorry but it looks like you guys are under attack we're we're working on it um uh please have patience he said my dears have patience you know <laughs> it's, very, it. it's a far cry from like we need to go and save the people of donetsk and don't do hence isn't it like oh our yeah. actual country's being invaded oh be patient. We'll be there in a bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be there in a moment. Um, <laughs> please be patient. You know, it's like the whole presidential hold music for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid your town is twelve in the queue. <laughs> we, are, we, we are responding learning. to it as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's learning from like <laughs> British banks and the NHS at the moment. <laughs> Oh my goodness me! And but and the other thing was that um, someone posted a video of um, two SU-25s flying over the town, and all the comments were, "Oh, I wonder who whose are those? <laughs> it's like, are they those Russians or those Russians?" And it's like, "Well, this three-day operation is not going well when no one actually knows which Russians are flying, <laughs> flying bombers over their own territory now." Oh. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah. And yes, I'm here for this content. I've got my popcorn. And, I, and I'm just thinking that the counteroffensive doesn't really need to happen at the moment, does it? No, no. No, because, no, you know, they, they can keep lobbing um, storm shadows and high Mars and what have you. And, the, you know, they've got the drones. Bakhmut seems to have, and it was the grand strategic victory seems to have, I don't know, they did, did they do it? Did we don't actually know what the status is there, do we? I don't know. Yeah. But we, Ukraine could just sort of go, well, well, we'll do it when we're ready. Yeah. And it's interesting because this is sort of one week they'll go, okay, it's going to start next week. And then they'll be, yeah, but, you know, maybe we need a few more things. And now, you know, we're yeah. just, we've already started. And they, they, they are constantly throwing out constant red herrings. And it's very much yes. on their toes. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But there's no, there's no point in waiting in sorry and going too early because no. you know the, you know they can just keep going and throw missiles that can't be shot down i would just like to say that now um yeah. and uh, see how it goes you know? so this and, is something yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry. no sorry i was just saying people need to stop putting pressure on them and yeah. just let them get on with it they know what they're doing trust Obviously. in the zsu Interesting. <laughs> I think this is this is the other bit of news. You know, there have been increased attacks on Kiev lately. Um, mm. and they've been quicker, and they mm. and there has been some more civilian casualties for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, they're still they are still shooting down these you know fast missiles, Iskander or Iskander missiles, mm. whatever they're called from yep, Black yep. Sea, mm-hmm. stuff from Belarus. It's interesting to see. Uh, so Russia does seem to be stepping up its attacks again, and everyone's like, okay, they're trying to find the Patriot systems. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you have all this shiny gear. Why are you wasting it still? Like I said the other week, it still seems weird. But I, I, I think, and the thing is, you know, Kiev people are now taking 
the security very seriously. People are going to shelters and people mm. and things like this that you're a lot more packed than they were before. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing: they're not. If you think that's going to demoralize soldiers at the front, or do you think that's going to? And do you think Ukraine are going to let you find it? Do you think that they're not prepared? Even if you did, do you think they have one tank, like one Patriot truck, <laughs> just sat there? Like, oh no! Like I'm sure they've prepared for this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, th- I think the the mindset is because Russia can't make any more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So their their stocks are effectively fixed. They can what they can make a few a few a month, I think. Whereas the Ukraine's got the entire sort of force of NATO manufacturing and stockpiles behind them. So uh, a high Mars or a Patriot does get blown up. It's like oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it's like when you look at the amount of stuff that America left behind in Afghanistan, it would dwarf anything that Russia mm-hmm. had currently had. So the stuff that America literally lost behind the sofa be a game changer in the in this war, you know? And so yeah, whatever. Oh, which is now the Taliban are using to attack Iran, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit out of scope, but yeah, we'll we'll let them get on with it. If yeah. it I mean if the um drone factories get blown up, then that's a win, isn't it? <laughs> It's just a, oh god, everything's going off and stuff in Kosovo. I, I I don't know enough to comment on what's going on there no, right now. No, so I'm not no. I'm not gonna, I, I'm not one of these guys. I oh I've watched a, uh, a video on Twitter. I know everything. Here's my opinion. Mm. No, I'm just going to go. I will watch and learn. Yeah. And see. Uh, I, I, I would. I would, yeah. I, I would say that it, I would say that Ivana Stradner is probably mm. possibly one of the experts on this sort of stuff. So yeah. it's always worth checking her and what is she saying at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also there are, a few, there are a few um, like people from that region on Twitter who are. Oh, are they? Oh, okay. I can't remember the names because I'm mm-hmm. really bad at that. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I think there's probably a few people, and maybe we'll try to dig them up and promote them. Well, I think on so. This, that's only fair. What's the other okay. thing I want to talk about this week from the news? Hang on a second. Uh, um, okay, no, the big one. Here's the big one. The, the drone attacks on Moscow. The drones 2, Drones Revenge, uh, Drone Harder, uh, Drone <laughs> uh The Drone Strikes Back. Um, um, I'm running out of sequel film names. But yeah, what's that going on there? <laughs> um, what's, the, what's the film where the robot goes alive and then, oh God, I can't remember what that was. Short Circuit. Short Circuit. Oh, that's a reference I don't know if everyone's gonna get. Even that was that was old, like that was several years before I was born. <laughs> okay, now you're making me feel really old now. <laughs> uh, that's the one the, is that wait, the short circuit is uh, it's where the military drone goes becomes sentient and then Yes. It's is it, that one in an apartment block and or there's no. there's two there's two films from the same period about robots that come to life. And I get them confused with each other. They're there is, there's easy. a lot, there's a lot of films about like that. So there's, oh, Short Circuit, yeah. War Games, Weird Science, where they bring Kelly, somebody back to from to life. There's all sorts of things. Oh, then there's Mannequin. Um, anyway, there was a whole suite of them. So there you go, of weird things coming to life. That's That's my age given away there. There we go. Wait, so what's this got to do with drones? I'm a bit lost, sorry. Oh, no, you started talking about Drone Harder. Drone uh, 4.0. The, se- the second short circuit was uh, batteries not included, so short. Drone, Thank you. Drone yeah. circuit 
two batches not included. Yeah. Was yeah, oh, that another film? Am I getting <laughs> anyway? No, yes. No, batteries not included is a separate film. I just thought. That, <laughs> I just, oh for God's sake. Oh God! I think this is the film. This is the film I was thinking of. Yes, I was thinking yeah. of batteries not included. Okay. There, there we go. But yes, yeah. that was the apartment block. Yes, that's yes. Oh, but yeah, short circuit is when the. Um, Wardrone goes becomes sentient and starts caring about things. Um, but strangely, it shared a lot of the cast with Police Academy. There you go. Oh, well, there we go. This yeah. is what people listen to us for to talk about <laughs> 80s movies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you were talking about drones. Yeah, so the drone attacks of Moscow, where, like, I don't know, so, uh, basically a posh region of Moscow was attacked and some windows were damaged, and that was about it. Um, oh, it was a posh, it was a posh area, was it? Yeah, that's why everyone was so cross. And on on social media, though, on Russian Telegram channels, like, yeah, you can bomb there. And people are saying that it was like politicians' houses. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know who did it. I it doesn't quite seem on brand for Ukrainian attack specifically. To but at the same time, it could. It, it was a day after the attack on Kiev, and Budanov said like, "Oh, we'll get revenge." And I feel it's a good way to instill fear on the mm. that, that lovely channel um, on Russia One. There was a whole thing how they are jealous of Kiev's air defense and uh, siren system because at least in Kiev they go off before the attack, whereas in Moscow they didn't even go off. So. <laughs> Oh God! Well, well done. You can't even defend yourself from some drones, and some things were shot down. But still, I'm sorry. Several drones managed to fly into like over Moscow and they explode. This is hilarious. This is fantastic. And... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is yes. And did they they did a bit of damage. I think they broke some windows. So this yeah, is why I'm not no so sure about. I'm not, yeah, I'm not so sure about this one because the one I posted a trailer for handily was the one for the attack on the Kremlin. Now, we don't think that was a false flag because that actually blew up on the Kremlin, didn't it? Whereas right. this one seems to be somebody flows a Mavic into a into a window, you know? So mm. my, my guess is it was some form of Russian partisans or Russian activists or something because, I, I, again, I don't think it's a false flag because I feel that it's too weak an effort for a false flag. I feel they would have done something a bit more dramatic. But, mm. uh, um, but I feel it's a bit i don't, I don't know I, yeah I, i'm also not sure if it was ukraine because yeah it, it's not really that sort of attack whenever ukraine have done something or been accused of doing something which they probably did but we don't know it's always been a political target you know this is not really i, I don't know yeah um, it was a weird one but it was funny all the same and uh i like to see it so yeah um i'm really sorry but i'm just do you know billy not Billy, not purse Billy. Oh, I sent sixty nine Billy. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but he's just posted something, <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> there's a Nate. You know, he posts the weirdest stuff, right? Uh, yeah, even, stuff. even for NATO, that's he posts weird stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes, and so he's found a video of a naked Russian man climbing off a balcony to the floor below, and he runs into another apartment, gets out another a window onto an air, air conditioning unit. And then he gets beaten up by the neighbours with big sticks. So this guy, this guy is roaming around on the outside of an apartment block, and then he gets beaten with sticks. So it's like, um, is that normal? That uh, keeps uh, everything he posts. I just go, is that normal? So I don't. Oh no, a fireman has just turned up now. <laughs> anyway, 
Yeah, so if you don't follow Billy, OSINT underscore 69, you should now. Yeah, you should. So my copium of the week is kind of absurd because it's not really copium, but I just found it the bizarrest take. Um, this was on that stupid clown world Twitter and tweeted by various uh-huh. mostly right-wing nutjobs, mm-hmm. maybe some tankies too. The, the lines between them are blurring day by day. Yes, indeed. But basically they had footage of the key of McDonald's and the implication was somehow that I don't know, either the war isn't that bad or some people thought that oh, they're eating McDonald's and they clearly aren't suffering or they clearly aren't tightening their belts, which is one phrase I read. Like, hang on, we're talking about McDonald's. Like, okay, in Ukraine, it's not quite as like cheap in comparison as it is like in UK or maybe US. Like, it's not like you don't... Because if the prices... You, your hamburger is like a, a pound, like a dollar here, and but that's a bit oh, that goes a bit further here than it does maybe in the US. Whatever, whatever. Actually, no, I think it's even more than that. Or whatever, it doesn't matter. Basically, yeah. And but the idea that somehow in a war everyone should be broke to be real, or it just made absolutely no sense. As if you know, during World War Two, people weren't going to pubs. As if during other wars, people don't have services. Like a private business which is operating at people are using the money they use from work to pay mm. for a service somehow is an insult because American taxpayers have sent some weapons. I, there's actually zero link here, but they somehow have to think they want to portray it in some sort of weird way that the war isn't real. And yet literally the day after and the day after that, there were attacks on Kiev and people died. So it's like, yes, two things can live side by side. It's very surreal. But it just I don't understand what these people think and people are convinced by it. And yet the people that say this stuff, they are the same people that tell Ukraine to de-escalate. So it's like, hang on. So either the war isn't real and it's not that bad or Ukraine's about to bring the the world into World War III. It's one or the other. Yeah, they're both dumb, but they're both dumb in different ways. You can't like weave between the two, but they will power through and try. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I, I think after over the last year, it's who who is paying you? Just to, mm-hmm. just to be honest, just tell me who's paying you, and we can decide. You know. So it's just McDonald's. Yes, that's yeah, that's that that's, has, that's that has offended. Apparently, me. apparently, war war should be no one has a burger for McDonald's. Apparently, yeah, um, because. I'm, I'm, I actually knew people who were alive during World War Two, and this is going to surprise you, but they had, uh, they lived a normal life. They went to the shop, they bought things, they they went to the pub, they went to yeah. the pub and had they had beer, despite My, despite yeah. being bombed constantly by Germany. It's very odd. How, oh, how did they manage to do that? Yeah, yeah only a war that yeah. lasts six years. You've probably got to go to the pub at some point. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my my grandmother went. You know, while my grandfather was fighting, she had a job. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I know. So there were companies operating. And at did the she same use time. her money in exchange for goods and services? She did. Yes, she did. Oh my God. Yes. See, and we should. We, why? Why are we sending weapons <laughs> to the UK? Why are we helping? Yeah. Why we but never guess it? what. In the day, she worked in a in a factory, and in the evening, she worked behind the bar at a pub. My great shocking. Yeah, my great grandparents they ran a pub in Nottingham during the Blitz and okay. had had illegal gambling at night during the blackout. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> and apparently, also they used to. Um, apparently, my great granddad he would go down to London after bombings and take abandoned. Like going to the abandoned pubs that were bombed and steal the beer and the whiskey, which is not the best, to be <laughs> honest. 
Well, I know, I know people um, sort of romanticise the Blitz, but um, no. cry, crime did go up immensely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because literally because of the lights, the lighting was not on. So you yeah. could pretty much do whatever you wanted. So, yeah. yeah. And there was also people who fell down drains as well in the dark. Yeah, yeah I could imagine yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. but um, so things happen. Yes, it, it doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop, does it? No, no. Um, I mean, like even like you know, during more other recent wars, do you think that you know, in Syria, in Iraq, you know, in Afghanistan, there were businesses operating. There are now. You know, you can go mm -hmm. to Damascus now in Syria, and there will be businesses. You you can yes. go to. You, yep. well, I mean, there's not Iraq's a bit different now because it's kind of stabilized. Um, mm -hmm. Afghanistan, yes. even okay, you'd have to deal with the Taliban, but they have economy. And even during the war, there was there's always been businesses. I, the yes. idea that business, war means no business is just it's lazy history. It's that, well, that means no understanding history. This is a, interesting, and I, I think there's a. Now I've seen it in America, especially, and uh, I don't know if American listeners are going to um, let us know what what think, but there seems to be a fear of death. I think um, mm. so, and um, they, it's such a comfortable life, and they just don't want they want quiet. So when they say, you know, please can we have? Why don't you negotiate for peace? What they actually mean is, why don't you negotiate so that I can have a quiet life? Uh, that's as far as I can see. That's the that's what they actually mean. Yeah, um, I think there is an American centrism aspect to this, um, and also you know these are countries. America's been fortunate. I mean, unless you're an indigenous American, it's very different. But if you're like a, let's say, but for most Americans in for the last quite a while now, they've never been invaded. They've never had a war on their doorstep for a long. They don't have those memories. Whereas mm. for much of Europe, mm -hmm. you don't have to go far back to hear stories of being bombed or occupation. Yeah. And it's a bit different and we know how it is. And this is why also you see in Eastern Europe a lot more um, strength against Russia than you might in Western Europe as well, mm. because it's a lot more recent, mm. the occupation of the Soviet occupation and the horrors of Russia. Yes. And yeah. I think that's the thing. American, maybe Canadians and stuff, they feel very far away from everything and they're just scared that their life is being interrupted. I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, and um, it was just, um, I was going to say something and Pingu can edit this out while I do. Um, yes, the, the, the two most wars have had the biggest impact have been the Vietnam yeah. and Iraq and so that's where a lot of the um, the peace protests the peace groups come from is that their focus is on America going yeah. into a particular com country and so they can you, they say oh imperialist or yeah that for the know. longest time people on uh, the left in America the anti-war lot their enemy has been the US government, which I completely understand. But the thing is, not everything is the same. Not every mm. war is the same. Not every conflict yep. is the same. Yep. Um, and it's not, and I know they like to think, oh, Ukraine is just a proxy or they've been used. But I, I don't know. Maybe you come and talk to some Ukrainians about that before you jump yep. to such a I, I, I just said that's the sort of prism to, to look at this, that from is that those are the two wars that have had the biggest impact on them, isn't it? And uh, yeah. But they have been the ones doing the, not invading, or they've been the ones going to another country to do it. And yeah. so I guess that is the driving force behind their peace movement. Um, yeah. And it's still, it, the, even the Vietnam War still impacts, still yeah. impacts that, yeah. the, the, poli the politics in that area. So, 
it's understandable, but it's yeah. you can understand it, but you can go, that's bloody stupid, <laughs> you know. But it, you can see where it's coming. You can see where it's come from if you understand the history behind the peace movement in America. Um, this yeah. ties very nicely into who will be our guest very soon. We can maybe yes. even ask him about this. Dear listeners, this week we have all been horrified by Russia's act of destroying the Novogahovka Dam in Kherson and the immense destruction and ecocide it has unleashed. There are several groups working to provide aid. Direct aid to U-24 will benefit Ukraine and volunteers with lifeboats, motor pumps, water filtration stations, among other urgently needed gear. Donations can be made at u24.gov.ua backslash lifeboat. Lift 99 and Ragnar Sass at A-R-G-N-A-R-S on Twitter are also helping to expedite the evacuation of civilians and animals. Donations can be made at help99.co backslash donate. Thank you for your continued support for Ukraine. Gayo Wuhaklan. Okay, so we've got um, Paul Massaro here. Um, now, sorry, my son is cheering in the background as soon as I said Paul's <laughs> name. So that was, <laughs> so you've got one Good fan. Sign. You've got a fan here already. Um, Good. So Paul, you work for the Helsinki Commission, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and you've got ties to Ukraine now, and hopefully we'll find out more about those. And we've been following your travels around Ukraine and what you've been doing to support support them over the last year or so mm-hmm. um, and it'd be really great to hear from from you about why you're doing it how you're doing it and what you think is going to happen I think that's basically my three my three big questions I guess yeah welcome uh, to, welcome and hello yeah thank you so much for having me it's great to be here yeah I guess like the first question is like uh, I think a lot of people like know you probably, you know, from Twitter and stuff, but not everyone knows about your work for Helsinki and what you do, you know, in the real world. So could you like give a rundown of what you're doing exactly? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is funny. Um, you know, I've been told by, you know, a lot of people now that it's like, well, yeah, I mean, all, all we know is you're like a Twitter guy. And in fact, that's a, a very small part of my life comparatively. Uh, I, I, the, the Twitter presence is in, in, in one sense, an extension of my interest in, you know, I mean, in, in, in these issues and promoting democracy, human rights and the rule of law around the world and, you know, uh, engaging in kind of the info war, which I mean, I, I think we've kind of misunderstood in, in Washington and, and maybe we can come back to that at some point. But I guess the, the bottom line is it's not it's not the main thing I do. It, it's not even the thing I mostly do. Um, I am a congressional staffer in my professional life, um, a congressional advisor, and I basically sit around working on legislation and speeches and talking points and and and, and all that sort of thing um, at this really cool uh, body called the Helsinki Commission. So the official name is the Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe, and we've been around since 1976. And basically, we're the Ukraine Victory Commission. I mean, our our entire existence um, is premised around holding Russia to sort of its freely undertaken international commitments, you know, of which it is violating all of them at the moment. Right. So, I mean, this is this is a, a an incredible moment where, of course, the 
the future of U.S. national security, which, of course, is my number one priority, uh, is is on the line. But in fact, you know, the 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 continued existence of democracy, of uh, free societies is very much on the line. You know, I've I've emphasized before and I try to emphasize as often as I can. I'll emphasize right now that if Ukraine hadn't fought, we'd likely find ourselves in a world war. Uh, Russia has for a long time, for decades, uh, been working to undermine uh, kind of the post-Cold War consensus, the, the, the borders drawn after the Cold War that, you know, basically not just drawn, but really consensual con- consensus based decided upon. So they they agreed to this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they agreed to all of this, which is why it's so extraordinary. Um, but this is the kind of order that keeps us safe. You know, the rules that keep us safe. And they tried to, you know, they want to overturn all of them. And they, you know, they Putin sort of made his gamble. Russia made its gamble here. Hopefully see the dissolution of NATO by taking Ukraine, taking Moldova and then incurring into, say, Poland or Romania or Lithuania or something like this. And then China would invade Taiwan and 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 who knows where it all ends after that. You know, there'd be some very hard decisions to make. But Ukraine saved us from having to make that decision. Um, Ukraine is really fighting to protect all of us. And that has really driven me both in my professional life and then also has driven me to take to Twitter, you know, which I, I never in a million years would have envisioned myself doing. I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, after... Pretty much it's been nine years on the job with, you know, 300 followers or whatever, uh, you know, suddenly becoming something of, I, I don't know, uh, 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 Twitter, Twitter famous or Twitter celebrity or Twitter punching bag, depending on who you are. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, it's really a, it's really a change for me. Yeah, I definitely could relate to that because I was very much a, oh, I don't like Twitter. I don't really want a big social, uh, fa- uh, public facing social media thing. And then, you know, I had 12 followers last January. Uh, now I've got 10,000 because uh, right. it's like, how, how does this happen? Um, thank you to those who follow me, but it's it's just interesting. And I don't know, maybe maybe after victory, as they like to say here, I might calm down. Probably not. Uh, I quite like educating people. It's going to be a lot of work to do after the victory. It's not going to be over yet. And I want to talk about that later, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. You actually mentioned this thing about the cyber war, and that ties into the first it ties nicely into the first thing I want to talk to you about. Because you had a fella avatar for a while and you discovered NAFO and you have quite a lot of fans in NAFO, I would say. Um how did you find it? Why did you like it? And what are your thoughts on it uh, as in it being successful? Uh, do you think it has a future? Do you think it needs to change anyway? I just like your thoughts on this. And obviously, bearing in mind, this obviously relates to what you said about, <clears throat> I'd say, the Western governments, uh, like EU governments and uh, UK and US's misunderstanding of the uh, misinformation war. It's a critical question, Joe. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I think NAFO's brilliant. I mean, I think NAFO's essentially the first salvo in what you know free peoples really should be doing. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing that we've all been kind of a, a little bit complacent, sitting on our hands, you know, pissing and moaning, uh, and and left it to governments that we don't trust and don't really understand to fight misinformation. They've utterly failed uh, in 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 many ways that I want to talk about. But I mean, NAFO is. So fascinating because it's it is it is truly in a sense um what democratic 
people should be doing. It is a groundswell, right? It is it is truly grassroots in a way that very few things are these days. Um, it is your your average citizen in the West saying, you know, enough of this. You know, I'm gonna get involved, and I'm gonna. I mean, even if it's you know, it's amazing because even if it's trolling a Russian ambassador or going after people just spreading blatant disinformation or donating, you know, all of these things. Uh, these are real citizen actions. This is this is actual democracy. It's not, you know, going to the polls every two years, which everyone should do still. The institutions are important, but the institutions are not democracy. This is kind of, in a sense, what Ukraine teaches us. Ukraine is a democratic society on another level, I think, in a, on a level that the West has since forgotten. You know, you read about kind of like late 19th century American democracy or even like soldiers during the Civil War prior to like the you know, essentially the institutionalization of everything. And there was kind of a democratic spirit to the place, you know, uh, communities would be involved with with one another. Um, they would seek to promote sort of democratic values everywhere. People would have debate clubs and they'd, you know, vote on things. Um, now, of course, we default very quickly to kind of the cult of the CEO, you know, this, the cult of the president, whatever, you know, the, the, mm. the top leader will decide things. And in a sense, uh, we become a quasi more authoritarian culture, you know, like the 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 role of your kind of average citizen is to complain and complain and complain and protest and then vote every two years. And that's just false. You know, I mean, like, if you want to solve something, go out and solve it. Don't wait for the government to take action. And that is what NAFO is. It's actually saying, OK, we see that governments have failed to fight this misinformation. We see this is a problem. So we're just going to go out and solve it. And they have. They really have had a huge impact. I mean, from um, from both pushing back on Russia's very calculated and very influential disinformation operations. I mean, they put a lot of money into it. They're very good at it. Sort of their their strategy is always flooding the zone with just lies. NAFO floods the zone with ridicule and very clever and funny versions of the truth, um, which is great. I think the NAFO's you know, kind of bringing of ridicule into the fray, which Ukrainians also do. Again, I think, I think Ukrainians have actually been the major teachers and NAFO is kind of learn from Ukraine and evolve from there, which is really terrific again. But the Ukrainians are, are ultimately the teachers of how you just, you know, you when when someone's lying, you just, you say, you're, you know, you're an idiot, shake your head at the information, move on. You don't engage them. You know, I yeah. mean, you don't, you don't, you don't give them kind of the time of day that, that legitimizes their viewpoints. So this is what I mean, I've it's, always it's been, said. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, this is what we did for so long, you know, uh, with, uh, I don't want to get like too overly into it now, but you know, there's been a lot of political actions over the last many years in the West where we tried to dignify the crazy people with debate, and it didn't work. No, you, you right. tackle nonsense. You you just show it's absurd, and people watching it will go like, "Yeah, wait, what the fuck are we talking about? This is, you know, why are we dignifying it?" Because then it makes it look, "Oh, he's got a point, and he's got two sides." No, it doesn't work like that. They haven't got a side. They're nonsense. They're liars. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I can feel your passion. I mean, that, that's why NAFO is so influential because of the enthusiasm of people who are essentially saying, like, look, we're taking this to our own hands because, you know, the, the experts have failed on this one. I mean, I mean, the, the essential like Washington and I don't know, I guess I guess to some extent, probably also London, but kind of the expert way of doing this has been, you know, people saying, OK, well, we need to teach media literacy. We need to teach critical thinking. We need to debunk and fact check. None of this works. OK, and none of it works. Because by the time you're fact checking, the the conversation has moved on. You need to be there within like you 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 have to ridicule it in the moment. Fact checking basically doesn't work. Is 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 one of our big failures. Media literacy also effectively does not work because we can have you can have as much critical thinking as you want. And I do support people being critical thinkers. Obviously, I think people should 
you know, take responsibility for their own beliefs. But if you are, if you, if, if what you see, if nine tenths of what you see is crap, if nine tenths of what you see is this kind of, you know, very clever Russian disinformation that has kind of the, whatever, you know, the, the kernel of seeming truth, you know, that mixed with, you know, endless lies. And that's nine tenths of what you see, you're still going to believe in crap, you know? So we need to be flooding the zone with truth. We need to be out there fighting. You know, we need to, we need to be engaging directly. We cannot cede this territory to them. And then, okay, yeah, well, democracy wins in the end. No, it doesn't. I mean, this is, if, if Ukraine teaches anything, it's that democracy does not win on its own. You literally have to fight. You have to be fighting every single day and wake up and fight. Yeah, I, I just 100% agree. It's, see, my, my, my seminal moment was during Brexit. That was, um, it was, it was a year of, it was a decade of lies and there was constant fact-checking. People were saying, oh, it'll never happen. It never happened. And it did because people lived an entire life in a in a bubble of lies and no one no one thought of popping it they just constantly sort of sat in a circle going no it will never happen but it did didn't it and you've had the same with in 2016 as as us and so that that's why i'm here is because i saw that it literally does not work and you have to fight it every day and so yeah i completely agree with you yeah and I mean, I really, I really admire you folks for what you're doing. And I really admire NAFO. And obviously I really, I mean, I'm, I'm inspired to no end by the Ukrainians and their approach. I mean, I, I, I you know, it's, 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 it is hard and it's painful, I guess is, I mean, one of the reasons people just don't want to do it is because it's risky. It's frustrating. You know, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get ridiculed right back. Um, and even, even if the ridicule is kind of ridiculous and it's you're a nazi you're a jew you're gay whatever you know i mean even if it's like middle school kind of stuff i mean if you see enough of it yeah i mean it's it, it's frustrating you know <laughs> like it's yeah. really it's not a nice thing to be called names all the time but you got to do it and you got to get in the fray because if you don't do it then you're ceding the territory to them and i feel like that's basically what we've done with our endless kind of countering disinformation approach is you know, all these very, you know, very well-educated researchers and stuff like that, they don't want to get in the fray because they don't want to muddy themselves. But the fact is, is that's where the battle is. So if you're going to fight, you're going to fight in the mud. So you got to get used to the mud. This is exactly why we kind of started this podcast, because, you know, we try to target experts who are willing to come here and like share with people like NAFO. We want to kind of bridge that gap because there is this disconnect between, yeah, the academics who'd rather sit and pen a paper that about five people are going to read um, and the people like actually fighting disinformation. It's like, no, that we can learn from each other massively because um, it's, it's like you say, um, yeah, people would rather sit, wait for the government to solve things. Uh, believe in the the rules of fair play will just win out. It's like no, it doesn't work like that. As you say, it just doesn't. That's not how history has shown us either. And we were just we were just um, discussing how easy it was for uh, you know the Donbass Divushka podcast. You know you know that one. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I yeah, mean yeah. that was a huge victory from Pika and NAFO. And I mean yeah. they, you know, I mean that was that was all NAFO's investigations. I mean that was that's that's another kind of it's a, it's an, an amazing instance of this you know of, of the power of of nafo yeah and, and it, but, but doing this podcast we can see it's really hard to get people to come for free and to organize this stuff but these guys are running two podcasts a week with different guests and, and we yeah. know from experience you can't do that on your own so there must be there's got to be some organization behind it and so 
it's not there's no it's definitely it's all this stuff is an astroturf there's nothing no groundswell of, oh yeah yeah there's no groundswell there's no grassroots it's all it's all nonsense it's all, and it's all paid for right that's that's the way i'm i'm looking at it without a doubt i mean i i i was running in in january and february i was running my own thing for a while and trying to do that while doing a job and doing a phd and and tweeting all the time and and and, and whatever else and ultimately i just had to be like look this is I mean, you got to edit the videos, you got to edit the sound, you got to equalize levels, you got to make the title card, you got to upload the stuff, you got to promote it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh my God, you know, something's got to give. And I was doing it all on my own. So, I mean, yes, I mean, it's a huge amount of work. Um, and and these guys have whole teams behind them and it's entirely Russian disinformation operations. I mean, I mean, it's the, the Russians recruit, um, they see who's there, you know, they give them platforms they give them money they give them whatever and then they push their message and they help to uh enhance it and obviously this hasn't been helped by the fact that the since musk's purchase of twitter it seems to like the the algorithm has favored these kind of conspiratorial disinformation style campaigns the the whole thing yeah it's interesting because you know nafo exists pretty much within twitter and some other social media a little bit but we've it's interesting how we've rubbed against uh, these like Silicon Valley guys who are meant to be sharing similar values of decentralization and shape like disruption, but they don't like us because I think the algorithms with the rage clicks and everything benefits them. So that's why I think they hate us, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's also kind of like, I mean, there's something even more sinister, I think, going on here. I mean, there's, I guess there's two sides of it. I mean, there's the, there's the, you know, the red pilled side, essentially, that like mm. anything the government does must be bad. So this is kind of the the kind of, I guess, Silicon Valley libertarian perspective of like, well, if the government wants to support Ukraine, then we've got to be against it. Now, I can't find Ukraine on a map. Don't know what it means. Don't know anything <laughs> about this. But, you know, we got to be against it. Now, I, I think that that's that, you know, that's kind of the quote unquote independent thinker standpoint, you know, like these guys mm. are just kind of kind of contrarian identity useful idiots. And then there's kind of, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you guys follow this guy, Dave Troy, who I think makes a lot of really interesting points sometimes about the anti-government kind of um, standpoint of someone like Musk, who I think, you know, Musk, I think is, yeah, okay, to some extent, uh, self-admittedly red-pilled and likes this kind of conspiratorial thinking and likes the kind of uh, disinformation. But, but on another side, very purposefully tries to spread this stuff in his efforts to kind of fight, kind of push out the government, he's actively anti-government. Like, like he wants to be the one making all the decisions and calling all the shots. And uh, if he can find ways to fight the government, he'll fight it. So I think he views NAFO more as kind of like supporting government positions. Again, I, I, you know, I, I work for a part of the government. And I do not view NAFO as pro or anti-government. I view NAFO as just kind of like pro-right and anti-wrong, just kind of like- We talked uh, about this uh, in all our other episodes. You know, we're like a really politically diverse group. Uh, there are like raging libertarians, socialists, anarchists, uh, centrists, liberals, whatever. We're all on board. It's just people who all are just tired of nonsense of some- Well, I mean, that's right. And, and it's- I mean, it's an amazing thing that we could be in this, like, I mean, extraordinarily clear-cut moment in history. I mean, it's like Hitler's invasion of Poland, 
You know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt as to who is in the right and who is in the wrong here. And I mean, I, I got to tell you, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty rare, especially in recent history where we're coming off kind mm-hmm. of the, you know, the Iraq and, and Afghanistan wars um, where, you know, eventually those kind of wars became pretty gray in nature. Um, and you had people kind of being like, what are we doing here exactly? You know, uh, whereas in this case, I mean, it's, oh my God, like, I mean, a uh, 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 violent, brutal tyranny has invaded a vibrant democracy, uh, is committing genocide very clearly. Like, all you got to do is look at the videos. It's like, no, man, those are doctored videos. I mean, give me a break. I mean, what kind of mental gymnastics you got to do to be the contrarian here? I mean, it's it's really sick stuff. Yeah, I agree. Right. Uh, I'm swapping the order of how I wrote things, but you met with Mamuka, right? Yep. Uh, the Legion. Yeah. Obviously, that's like a major part of how NAFO got started. Um, right. Just curious, how was that? How was that experience? And what happened? Well, Mamuka's my brother. I mean, he he's a he's a real freedom fighter. I mean, he's a really extraordinary guy. I mean, there's really I got I got only positive things to say about him. I mean, I you know I think that you know he demonstrates again. I mean, I, I have massive respect for people that take direct action. I, I I people that do not wait around for the authorities to solve things or the experts to come to a conclusion. I mean, they first of all they never will. Their whole no. Sort of uh, shtick is precisely endlessly debating things and, you know, kind of giving the perception that they're smarter and know better. So if you want something solved, you've got to do it yourself. And I mean, Mamuka has really understood that, you know, Mamuka was an advisor for, you know, the defense minister under Saakashvili. And, you know, after Saakashvili left power, um, you know, he he saw, you know, the, the 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 initial invasion in 2014. Remember, always important to remember that this war has been going on for nine, yeah. nine and a half years now. Right. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Russia initially invaded in 2014. Um, and then he started the Georgian Legion in order to help the Ukrainians who, I mean, at the time, you know, the, the the Ukrainian military, in a sense, the modern military was just getting started. So, I mean, he's been at this for a long time and has seen the transformation and has been inside kind of the, the Ukrainian military architecture for a really long time, pushing as kind of one of the great defenders of freedom and one of the great advocates um, for, for pushing Russia totally out of Ukraine. And I mean, I again, I've, I've interviewed him. Um, I've spent time with him, had dinner with him. I mean, I, I wish we had a thousand of them, you know, I mean, I wish we had more people who would say, oh, hey, look, Russia's invaded Ukraine. Well, I'm going to go start you know, a, a legion and be part of the Ukrainian military and work to push them out of Ukraine. I mean, instead of just complaining about it. I mean, he's he really is that kind of a leader. And I, you know, I look forward to seeing where his life will take him. But I mean, he's already, uh, you know, an extraordinary and, and really h- historical figure. Yeah, is his life story is just insanely impressive i think i talked about this in the very first episode actually where you just look he's been involved in so much conflict with russia and as you say he's someone who just gets stuff done and it's some reason i like being here in ukraine and also talking to people from eastern europe and georgia and i assume other places but i've not been to them so much you know people in this region of the world don't wait around they they in a way the institutions aren't as good but the people power is incredible and, you know, whether it was, you know, Maidan revolution or other other instances of just taking action and just and just civil society is just incredibly strong. And people know you can't 
trust Russia, you can't engage with them on the way that a lot of Western European and even America thought uh, ways where they thought you could. Oh yeah, no, we screwed it up so 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 bad. I mean, we were we were drinking the Russian Kool Aid in a profound way. Even I mean, despite all attempts to get us to stop, despite the uh, you know Russian invasion of Georgia, dis- despite the murder in Syria, despite the initial invasion, we just kept on doing it. I mean, it's like it's it's criminal, and in, and in part it is. I mean, in part it was a product of corruption, but there were a lot of reasons behind that. Uh, as far as you know, I, I I absolutely agree with you, Joe. Um, on kind of the, the the vibrancy of the region. And a part of that is, you know, their institutions for a very long time, I mean, they were colonial, Russian colonial institutions, right? I mean, they were they were parasitic in nature. Their, their, their idea was to keep the people down. So the people learned how to work around them and work with one another. Um, and boy, I, I, you know, now I, I really wish we had some of that spirit over here because I, I feel like we've really in the West come to over rely on institutions. And the fact is that institutions won't save you. I mean, you need a democratic populace. You need people to be truly engaged and want to be a part of the national community in order to have a democracy. Yeah, I think what's interesting here in Ukraine as well is how the war has only strengthened this sense, because I think for a lot of people, they still had the view, you know, ah, you know, but it's all corrupt things are never going to change or, ah, you know, politics isn't for me. But the war just has shown how everyone can just come together and help each other and be be active citizens on such a level that we, yeah, we we just don't have in the West. And we we take things for granted effectively. We Uh, take everything for granted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my um, experience with Brexit really has shaped everything here, and because um, we saw sort of huge um, protests against it, millions of people turned out, and then they all went home. <laughs> they all went home at the end of the exactly. day, and and you think, well, okay, that's that's good. What are you what are you going to do now? And they, they just let it happen, and they but they had such a tidal wave of of um, of feeling about it, but they just went, oh, okay. They sort of shrugged their shoulders and went, it won't be that bad. Um, I mean, it's a historical economical disaster, but um, they um, they just let it happen. And that's another Russian operation. It's got to be another Russian operation. And what I love about NAFO is that people haven't gone home. You know, it's, it's turned into a 24-7 operation, isn't it? And um, Exactly. And, and protest yeah. in the West is so often a party, right? I mean, it's like a... It's a pressure valve for for dissent that like lets a lot of pressure off and then you go home. It's not actually changing things. It's not actually getting political action. And I mean, you know, I think we really need to look at ourselves in kind of a, a, a cold, hard way and like be like, OK, so how do we actually change things? How do we actually ensure that this doesn't happen again? How do we not take this for granted? Um, how do we solve some of these kind of long-term problems. And I mean, the, the reality is, is it's, I mean, we do have good institutions and it's, and it's hard work. You've got to get involved over the long term. You've got to get political. You've got to get engaged. You've got to go to your party meetings. You've got to go to your political clubs. You've got to run for office. You know, you got to, you got to do all of these things. And that's much harder than going and having some drinks and cheering out in the street and then going home. How do you think we can do this? How do you think we in the West can help overcome this? Well, I mean, it's 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 taking a page out of Ukraine's book, right? I mean, that's it's 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 looking at one another, it's building networks, it's encouraging one another, it's doing what you guys are doing. I mean, again, I think NAFO uh, NAFO is, I mean, in one sense, the model for this, right? I mean, it, it's it is, you know, I mean, there there are certainly there's a lot of central niche Europeans in NAFO too, um, but I 
but I think it is kind of the here's how we can do it. Here's how we can be actively engaged. Here's how we can work together. Um, and it kind of restores a democratic spirit um, that has been lost. It is non-reliance on institutions, um, and it is it is you know being involved and deciding what changes you want, and then focusing on getting those changes. So so I mean I I I think it is a, a switch in mentality primarily. It's it's one that sees nothing is automatic and one that sees uh direct action as you know how you actually can get change mm. so so it's not a case of like education or anything from the institution that's got to be grassroots which is harder to facilitate because as soon as a government tries to facilitate it, it undermines it yeah it's, it's a hard one but yeah i think i think well, the right. government I, the government won't won't facilitate it at the end of the day you know i mean i mean and the government and and what is you know I mean at the end of the day what is the government right I mean I I when I when I talk about direct action I also talk about elections you know you got to play mm -hmm. the game you got to actually run you got to actually get involved you actually need to stand for office you need to you know get involved in your political parties you need to you need to you know I mean I mean in, in all honesty one of I think the the huge losses in the West has been the way that people just don't engage in the what is it, what is essentially party politics any longer it's a very small percentage of of radical fringes that are engaging in consistent party politics i mean in the united states when one looks at like primaries for instance you know like the people that vote in primaries primary elections are always kind of the most radical voters and the actual voter turnout is extremely low uh when one looks at brexit which matthew's talked about a few times here the voter turnout was like way lower than expected. I remember going to London a week after Brexit. I was going there for something totally different at the time. Um, but then Brexit happened and every conversation turned about turned out to be about Brexit. I remember going to a pub and just like talking to some of the, you know, the the 20 somethings there who are all distraught about it. And I was like, hey, did you vote? And they're like, no, it was raining. You know, I mean, I mean, you, 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 you can't do that. You know, like, I mean, there has to be like, we, you have to be involved. If you're not involved, yeah. then, then things are going to happen to you. I, I always think about that. Like, there's a saying that like, you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you, right. you know? And, and, and that means that it's not enough to protest and it's not enough to complain. You actually need to be involved. I mean, there's a lot of problems, you know, I think with our, both British and you know American democracies, I guess you could say the voting system they aren't perfect. Probably needs some reform. I guess that's part of it. And yeah, the echo chambers, social media algorithms, making people feel disenfranchised. There's a lot of problems. But I think yeah. So generally, what I'm taking from what you're saying is we need to, as a society in the West at least, try to take a leaf out of the book from of Ukraine and see citizenship and democracy as day-to-day -day life as something we we practice in our lifestyle effectively right would that be correct 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 and and i'll say you know we may feel downtrodden and disenfranchised sometimes and we may feel depressed and and all that kind of stuff but but remember the ukrainians have had to have two revolutions since becoming mm. independent from russia and are now fighting a war of independence effectively against uh Russia which has consistently tried to squat you know uh snuff out their their democratic spirit so I mean the 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 obstacles that we face in the West the obstacles to reforming our systems 
the you know gerrymandering or primary elections or whatever it is um, are much or campaign finance much 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 less than the mm-hmm. obstacles that the Ukrainians have overcome. The Ukrainians literally had to go and kick out Yanukovych, you know, who tried to consolidate autocratic power in the country. So you know, let's let's out let's also like every now and then you know take a hard look and 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 realize that yeah there are obstacles but they're actually not that big in historical comparative in historical comparison mm-hmm. i think it's not as say it's probably easier said than done but yeah i don't know what yeah probably you're right you're right we probably need to look look at ourselves a lot more and stop taking things for granted and take inspiration from elsewhere Okay, I want to talk. So, okay, we we've talked about now. What can we learn from Ukraine? But now, I want to talk. The last thing I want to talk about for the, the last twenty five minutes or so, uh, I want to talk about how can we, as in, well, everyone actually help Ukraine. So, I want to start with now. You've done a lot of uh, traveling around, talking to various people. Okay, first up, how do you think Western governments can better help Ukraine right now? Well, we can we can give them the weapons. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, 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 the the whole the whole the whole look. I mean, weapons weapons are eighty percent, and like sanctions are twenty percent. I mean, and it's and it's kind of like like I mean, the 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 hesitation on weapons is just embarrassing. I mean, if we'd given them the weapons before the full scale invasion, there would have been no full scale invasion. You know, um, mm-hmm. if we had given the weapons right after, the war would have already been over. You know, I mean, Ukraine would have already won. I mean, there there's a lot of horrific stuff that Russia has done, you know, leveling Mariupol, wiping villages and towns off the map, um, you know, tying people up, shooting in the back of the the head, you know, rape as a weapon of war, all this sort of thing. None of it would have happened had we just given Ukraine the stuff they asked for right out the gate. And still, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, every single item has required the same process. I mean, and it's been like deja vu every single time. It's, you know, okay, we want javelins okay well we got to pressure the javelins okay we got the javelins okay we got to okay we want heimers okay we got to pressure the heimers okay we got the heimers okay ifes you know okay we got to pressure the ifes we got the ifes okay tanks we got to pressure the tanks okay we got the tanks f16 you know what i mean it's like it's it's crazy right. um so i mean like let's get ahead finally and just say are we for victory or are we not you know like let's not make this this embarrassing process of the west you know wringing its hands for for over a year before we finally give the ukrainians what they need to win the other thing is we just need we need to be for victory i mean this is this mm. is so in, in in congress we'd introduced in both chambers this ukraine victory resolution which sets out victory as the restoration of 1991 borders admission to nato and justice and accountability and reconstruction um, so like in, and in sort of like in that order, right. And that's what we should be for. And we should be very clear that that's what we're for. Now I got to tell you, the United Kingdom has done a much better job in this than anybody else. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see, uh, who is it? James Cheverly coming out, the foreign secretary coming out and saying like, uh, oh yeah, no, I mean, Ukraine, you know, first of all, the, the Brits have given long range missiles. They've given storm shadow. Um, and then saying, you know, okay, well, Ukraine should be able to project force beyond its borders because obviously these attacks are being launched beyond the borders and anyone in any other circumstance would allow this. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. We're asking Ukraine to kind of defend itself in a way that we would, you know, with constraints that we would never, ever in a million years hold ourselves to. It's rightful places in NATO. And these are all correct. This is, I mean, we committed to Ukraine being in NATO in 2008. Every, every NATO state did in the Bucharest summit so i mean it's just mm-hmm. like holy crap i mean what are we thinking i mean we, we we're literally like 
peddling back commitments we made. I mean, in 1994 in the Budapest Memorandum. So it's like, you know, we need to we need to be like way more serious about victory. Why do you think we like the, the Western countries have been dragging their heels on this? I mean, it's a lot of it is is fear of escalation. I mean, it, it's endlessly fear of escalation. It's it's kind of this. Oh, God, this endless process of of worry about Russia's nuclear bluster, um, worry about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon, um, worry about, I mean, there's also a weird worry about what if Ukraine wins and then Russia disintegrates and then there's nuclear proliferation. I mean, it's it's all it all, in a sense, comes back to nukes. It really shouldn't. It's extremely goofy. Russia's, you know, quote unquote, red line should factor not at all into our calculations. We should just I mean, Ukraine needs this to win. Okay, the goals are this is going to win. I mean, we should be basically setting the tone. We should be going to Russia and saying, look, Russia, um, you know, we don't really care what you claim. Um, you you claim you annexed Zaporizhia, you claim you annexed Crimea, whatever it is. We don't really care because here are all the body of international commitments, you know, that you signed, that everybody signed at the highest summits. Everybody agreed to these borders. Nobody plans to invade Russia. Nobody plans to annex territory in Russia, so on and so forth. You know, I mean, we're, it, Ukraine has every right under international law. It's, you know, legitimately aggressed against every right to defend itself. And defending yourself does also mean being able to destroy launch sites and military staging sites uh, in Russia. And we just need to say, this is what it is, Russia. I mean, I'm like, like what? You made the decision to invade. Okay. You made the decision to invade. We're going to help Ukraine fight back to its 1991 internationally recognized borders, which you also recognized. And that's that. You cannot use nuclear weapons based on this. We go to China. We say, China, this is what it's going to be. You know, like this is we are Mm -hmm. we are going to help preserve borders. You like that, don't you, China? Don't you like preserving borders, China? We go to India. We say this is what it's going to be. We say we go to Brazil. We say this is what it's going to be. And that's that. And we stop worrying about Russia's like endless thing. Look, Russia can't use a nuclear weapon. I mean, it's just like it's 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 just complete crap. If Russia used a nuclear weapon, all it would do is get all the fence sitters off the fence and it would give NATO basically right. carte blanche to, uh, you know, intervene in the conflict. It makes no sense for Russia to use it. It's entirely an empty threat. We just need to focus on getting Ukraine the stuff it needs to win. We need to focus on winning. We need to focus on keeping Russia isolated, legitimately isolated under international law. And we need to reinforce international law. Everybody loves international law. Everything China does, it claims to be in the vein of international law. So, I mean, like, let's stick to international law. Let's get it done. Let's win the war. And let's say, okay, that's that. You cannot invade your neighbors. It's not allowed. Yeah. One thing, though, what about Enohada? You know, like, is that something we should be more worried about than nukes? Uh, I'm sorry? What about what? The Enoholda, you know, the nuclear station they've occupied in uh, oh. Zaporizhia. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's 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 I again agree, it's again but... this the the same the same sort of thing. I mean, it's exactly the same like line of logic that like, mm-hmm. um, look, I mean, if Russia causes a nuclear disaster, you know, that will be viewed as the same way as using nuclear weapons. I mean, you know, it's just like we mm-hmm. know, you know, like Russia. Here's the thing: is Russia. Russian misinformation only affects governments insofar as we want to believe their lies, right? right? I mean, if if we know Russia's lying, basically, but if it's convenient to believe in Russia's lies, we believe in them. So, you know, this has happened many times over history. It shouldn't have happened. We should have called their bluff. We should have said that. But if, but sometimes, you know, the U.S. government has calculated, the Chinese government has calculated, whatever, that it's that it's more convenient or more in line with our interests to 
believe Russia's lies. But the reality is we've always known their lies. It's not like Russia's fooling anyone in the government, you know? Um, I mean, in all honesty, I'm not even sure Russia's fooling anybody anywhere else. I just think that, you know, sometimes confirmation bias leads to people wanting to believe lies because they're more in line with people's mm-hmm. intrinsic values. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of times where people see stuff and it's like, well, you know, I want to believe this, you know, this is in line with my value, so I'm going to believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's actually much more realistic when it comes to why people believe things than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, but I mean, yeah, we know if Russia did this, we would know, you know? Right. What do you think are, it's funny, when I wrote these questions down, it was like two weeks ago before before things changed. So I had like, oh, will we expect F-16s? Huh. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was a great, <laughs> that was a great surprise. I got to say, we wrote a letter advocating F-16s at, at Helsinki. I mean, we, you know, obviously I've been tweeting about that for like half a year now. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been wonderful to see that happen. I mean, it should have happened a year ago. Oh, 100%. Uh, given, given that, given that it's so late and given that we're in the paradigm we're in, I'm, I'm honestly happy it happened at all. I was, I was really kind of worried it would never happen. So I, I think that it's going to be a really great thing when, you know, when F-16s appear in Ukrainian skies, boy. And I mean, F-16s run circles around, fly circles around the Sioux. I mean, I, I really think that, you know, what, what we're learning about you know, U.S. weapons and Western weapons is really amazing. I, I mean, I got to tell you, like some of these, some of these, I mean, we just run, our technology is just so much better than anything Russia has. Yeah. I mean, that's been, that's been an extraordinary discovery. I mean, and the discovery that Russia is actually extremely weak and pathetic and that they, you know, they, they feel really, you know, shoddy and, and broken and, and ridiculous equipment. I mean, you know, India, which is, you know, completely relying on the Russian defense sector has got to be thinking, oh my God, we need to make a switch now. You know, like who the heck is going to want to buy Russian arms in the future? I mean, they suck. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. We all thought they were better because they just spun it, but it turns out they were lying. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was one place where we did believe the lie, right? I mean, that's actually, that actually goes back against what I just said. I mean, that that's one place where we really thought, genuinely thought Russia was way more powerful than it was. Yeah. What other weapons do you think uh, could be would be key for West countries Western countries to send. Well, Attackums is obviously clear mm-hmm. and should have been sent a long, long time ago. Um, those are those you know ground based, ground to ground, long range missiles that can just be. The reason they're so useful is because they could just be put in a Heimers like tomorrow. They don't need any additional training or support. They're like plug and play. You know, another one is Dpickums. These cluster munitions. So these are these are would be extremely useful against these mass people attacks that Russia likes to do because it likes to throw people into the fray like that. It would also be useful for dropping from drones, which, uh, you know, Ukraine often does. I mean, drone warfare has been an enormous innovation of this whole conflict. We've never seen a drone fight like this in history. I mean, it's a, it's, it's really, really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, Obviously more of everything and faster is really important. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, like, so it's not just the categories. I mean, I think I think categorically we are very near where we need to be. Attackums are clear. Lots of long range missiles are clear. There's also kind of like so, and more of everything is you know is is really necessary because like you know just the the amount of ammo that people go through is like that to to defend is just huge. Um, I mean, Russia's you know Russia's kind of quote unquote advantage has always been that it just produces a lot of crap. You know, I mean right. it's crappy stuff, but it produces a lot of it. So we have to we have to you know. Um, account for that and beat that. And we will. Um, and 
I mean, the other thing is we got to stop tying Ukraine's hands. I mean, we have to we have to policy wise get to a point where I mean, it's you know, it's we got to be able to say with a straight face, look, Russia, I mean, our weapons will be used against military launch sites and you you are not allowed to do anything about it because it is within the confines of international law. Um, So, you know, like you you may not retaliate with a nuclear weapon. If you do, we we still have our and, you know, we have to be able to diplomatic. We still have our, you know, um, retaliatory capacity. And, you know, we have to make sure that, you know, others kind of understand this and that uh, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't view this as a provocation. I don't think they would, because at the end of the day, I mean, it's ridiculous. Russia's constantly launching these mass salvos at Ukrainian cities. Obviously, you know, they need to be able to, uh, you know, hit the launch sites. So I think that, like, there's also policy changes that need to be made. There, mm-hmm. I mean, there's also, it's not just weapons, of course, there's also sanctions. And, um, you know, we need to, we still need to confiscate the you know, 300, 350 billion that's of, of Russian sovereign reserves that are sitting around and in, in, mm-hmm. in the West. Uh, we should be using that to fund uh, weapons for Ukraine. Um, we still haven't designated, I mean, amazingly haven't designated Russia a state sponsor of terror. That should really be done. Of course, the reason that that, that people don't, they know that, that, that the higher ups don't want to do that is because, you know, it'll it'll pretty much cut Russia out for the foreseeable future. But I mean, I, Joe, I think I think the biggest thing is um, we're still kind of making believe at some point that, you know, we're going to be able to reach some kind of accord at the end where Russia re-enters is, the international community at some level. And that is, is bad. This comes to my a big question I had for you. So, OK, what is the future? So, OK, uh, imagine, well, no, hopefully soon, you know, Ukraine can restore its borders. What is next? How do we ensure peace? How, what do we deal, what do we do with Russia? You know, you mentioned about, you know, people talking about like balkanization and stuff like that. What's the best case scenario? What should we hope for? How do we ensure against further conflicts? So, it's a big I mean, question, I know, foremost, is that <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's an important, it's a critical question. I think we actually need to talk about it because it's like people stay their hand because they don't know. Right. I mean, there's like all this uncertainty, but in reality, it's quite certain. Ukraine needs to win, period. And winning means 1991 borders, admittance to NATO and the EU, you know, justice, reconstruction, accountability. The The reality is Russia has gone through, you know, hundreds of years of the same cycles. I mean, I think that people are, you know, con- like really realizing now that even the Soviet Union, um, despite its sort of communist facade, I mean, communism and at the end of the day, or Nazism or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, all of these things are ultimately various facades for, you know, the imperialism of the the underlying nationalism. And 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 Russia is a is a deeply imperialist identity. Um, you know, it really goes through these cycles of, you know, things going badly wrong, then some kind of change, then things go a little better, and then they invade all their neighbors, and then things go badly wrong, and then there's a little change, and then things go, you know, they, they things go better, and then they invade their neighbors, you know, and it gets, you know, it, 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 it just keeps going like this. And the, the reason for that is that the Russian identity is very imperial in nature. It, it, Russia takes great pride in dominating, you know, the people the people sort of kind of, kind of within its quote unquote borders, you know, beyond its borders. I mean, what, what is Russia fundamentally, but, you know, big and dominant, you know, um, and that needs to change. I mean, I've, I've, I've likened this at times to the transformation of the Ottoman empire into Turkey, you know, I mean, you know, no one, but prior to Ataturk, people didn't really even like speak about Turks, you know, I mean, it was like, there are Turkic peoples, 
you know, but the Ottomans were kind of their own sort of thing. It was like a multi-ethnic empire, uh, you know, and, and, and eventually they created a nation state and that, you know, I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast on Turkey. Obviously Turkey is a complicated place, but I'll tell you, Turkey functions a lot better than Russia. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, Turkey has successfully trans transitioned to nation state from, from sort of empire to nation state. It's, it's one of those kind of most recent to accomplish this transformation. It's also the closest to the Russian issue because not only is it geographically close and historically there's, there's a lot of ties there, uh, wars, trade, all sorts of stuff between the Ottomans and the Russians, but there's also, it's also a land empire, you know, um, which makes it different than say kind of the British or Portuguese or Spanish or you name it. I mean, obviously every other transition that's been made in Europe was pretty much an overseas empire. I mean, one could say the Germans, I mean, the Germans and the Austro-Hungarians are probably the, you know, Mm. the land empire examples that have broken up. And, And the German case actually does. I mean, the German case provides a tempting, but I think false comparison because ultimately, I mean, the German, the German model is maybe even a little scarier because the reality is the only way the Germans ultimately transitioned um, from empire to, from sort of land empire to nation state was the complete burning down of the country. And, and I mean, I, I, I worry a little bit because the, you know, in a sense, the one time we defeated really, you know, deep set fascism. Um, well, I guess there are two models, right? There's the, there's the German model where we had to burn the country to the ground, uh, and then occupied and continue to occupy it forever, essentially. And there's the Italian model where the Italians, you know, <laughs> Hung yeah. there, fascist in the street, you know, but 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 Japanese still kind of deal with where, those issues to the day. What Japanese Japanese model where you had to nuke two cities, yeah, that's also right. Like, but I mean that that reflects the German model, right? Uh, <laughs> like I yeah. mean, and 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 permanent occupation again, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and and kind of the demilitarization. I mean, the, the, to this day, the Japanese have a self defense force and not a military, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's like there, and it's in their constitution and everything. So I. I you know, I, I guess I, I I view the Ottoman model as perhaps the closest because the reality is Ukraine is 100% under international law to return to its 1991 borders. In fact, it must in order for us all to be safe. But, you know, nobody's nobody's going to invade Russia, right? I mean, the, the, the reality is what we need to do is we need to isolate Russia. We need to cut it off. We need to recognize that this is the Russian life cycle, that we shouldn't be tricked again. You know, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be fooled by Russia. We, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, we did everything we could to, to help Russia. And they spat right back in our face, you know, and we're, we should never do that again. You know, the the people people make this horrible, I think, comparison of Germany after World War One and say, well, Germany was embarrassed and that's why they embraced Nazism. Wrong. Germany was not defeated enough after World War One. Berlin was not, you know, it was not completely isolated. Berlin was not burned to the ground. You know, in fact, I mean, part of the part of the resentment came from this notion of we were never defeated. You know, I mean, this notion of of, you know, the 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 Wehrmacht never lost in battle. And yet and yet our politicians at home betrayed us. What's called the the Mm. the legenda, you know, and I mean, that 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 we cannot allow to happen. Russia must be utterly defeated and defeated as as defeated as can be, um, you know, in in a nuclear age. So barring invasion, but we need to really hold them isolated until decolonization, demilitarization, and denuclearization, which we should recognize will take a long time. But I think eventually there will be 
Mm. You know, I mean, I, I, I say an Ataturk style figure. I mean, some people would take, you know, exception with that, but some sort of Russian leader who essentially says, we need to give up our claim to Kiev. We need to recognize that we are not the Kievan Rus. We are not, you know, grand Russia. Um, and what does this mean for the future? How do we build an identity that is a nation state and is bordered? What does that mean for these peoples that are clearly nations within the borders of current day Russia, like Chechnya or Dagestan or Tatarstan? Um, and, and and so on and so forth. But these, you know, I mean, these conversations, we should incentivize them. But but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, there there's little I mean, I, I kind of I kind of evaluate there's there's little we can do to kind of force it beyond constantly having the conversation ourselves and encouraging yeah, I mean, those economically and intellectually. Yeah, if we force it too much as well, then it's aggressive. And then it, I feel it could be counterproductive. But that's my view. I'm That's why my, my opinion anyway. God, I could yeah, talk to yeah. you about this for a long time because I think the future of Russia is such a big topic. Um, but we've got like five minutes and I have one more question I would like to ask sure. you. Okay, you actually said at the start, you know, a lot of people sort of, they think you're just a Twitter guy, right? Uh, and you've explained really well that, you know, you actually do stuff and I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, like, I do think there is a problem, uh, maybe even with some of your, like, your tweets, but certainly a lot, a lot of people I see on social media, you know, uh, people who are um, in government or academics or experts, you know, they might say something that's not actually productive. Like, you know, you've just talked to us uh, in quite detail about things. You're not putting this on Twitter. Now, Twitter is limited. But how can we how can we improve? How can we improve the discourse? What obligations do you think people like yourself and other experts have uh, without uh, in creating a proper discourse about Ukraine and Russia and beyond? Well, I think the I think it's to understand what spaces are for what. I, I think that like, look, podcasts like this are great to go in depth. We're talking about uh, all the issues and everything. Twitter is not a place to go in depth, okay? Even, even though people think it might be, some people do threads, whatever. Twitter is an info combat space. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is essentially a place where we are button heads and fighting and, and, you know, I mean, we're pushing back against Russian misinformation and, and ever since, you know, Musk's purchase, I mean, it's become even more that, you know, yeah. I mean, so we yeah. should, you know, I mean, we should recognize what, what spaces are useful for what, uh, I mean, like you, you go to a seminar, an academic seminar, and you're not going to have a bunch of, um, name calling. Well, maybe a little yeah. bit, but, 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 but ideally you're actually going to talk about like a lot of the issues in depth and there'll be more people talking for a longer period of time and you're going to have slide decks and stuff. I mean, Twitter is not for that. Twitter is for, um, I mean, really, I mean, you know, I mean, Twitter has been, has turned into this, I guess. I mean, you know, maybe in some other alternative reality, there's some social media site where everybody's kind of giving interesting analysis and stuff. But the reality is, is today's Twitter you need to go on, you need to fight, 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 fight. Um, and I think that we haven't recognized this. And I think that we, you know, in one sense, we haven't recognized it because we don't want to recognize it because we don't want, you know, I think there's something in the Western mind. You know, I, I again, I think that this comes from perhaps the kind of, you know, Max Weber, you know, Protestant work ethic, you know, whatever style, you know, what I call like, um, maybe bureaucratic rationalist perspective that like dominates in mm. a lot of the West. 
that like we should be talking these issues out and we're all coming from the same place and we're all trying to figure things out together. And that's just not what the Russians are doing. You know, like, I mean, they're, they are, they are trying to muddy the waters. They're trying to screw you up. They're trying to purposefully twist everything around. So you need to go in there and you need to fight fire with fire. You need to fight back. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, we're not going to go lie, but like flooding the zone with truth, ridiculing them, this stuff was important, you know, like, mm. because the reality is, is they understand our system a lot better than we understand theirs. Um, They understand that they can screw us up. They understand that they can. Uh, take advantage of our kind of lawyering mindset uh, by just tossing a bunch of stray crap into the space. And they do. So if we don't fight back, we lose. Um, mm. And and like, you know, there's there's solutions that I feel like are never talked about that I feel like we should be doing. Like, I, I feel like you should be giving every government employee, for instance, a Twitter account and saying just, hey, go tweet. And we understand it's risky. And we understand you're going to say things that are your own opinion and all that kind of stuff. But like tweet, because Part of the problem is simply that um, there's not enough good guys mm. fighting the good fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just there's just not enough um, of the of the good people in the zone. Whereas whereas Russia goes and builds entire troll farms dedicated mm. to moving mass misinformation. It's, it's, sorry, it's not it's not just that they have they have their embassies and their ambassadors, which we know. And they they go on and they build whole networks around their embassies. They build whole networks around their TV stations. Everything. Yes. Everything is there. And we allow them to come on to the infrastructure that we have built to undermine us. And that's the one thing that I can never get in my head. Why have we why have we done this and we've not fought back? I know we, we're freedom of speech, but we've just let them do it. We've as you say, we've ceded the space. And I, it's the thing that infuriates me the most. It's, it's like the Ulanovs and the, the Medvedevs, they just come on and they, they go, oh, yeah, we should destroy Ukraine. And nothing happens. I know. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's a massive shock. And But that's what we're here for now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and it's I agree. And I mean, I, I think it's a fail. It's a it's a total failure on the part of the West. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, and it's not it's not even necessarily that we should be kicking these guys off. I mean, I, again, like no. it's just that we should be responding seriously. You know, I mean, we should be we should be ridiculing. We should be uh, talking about it. We should, you know, we should. I mean, we should set people free. And it doesn't need to be not every. You know, it's funny. You know, it's like for an official tweet, right? You need to go through like eleven, eleven. Uh, uh, levels of clearance, right? I mean, it's like by the time the the press release comes out, by the time the tweet comes out, it's this it's this mushy, garbled, nobody's gonna look at it kind of thing. Whereas, like, I mean, Russia's just like, yeah, okay, you know, like we're just gonna let everybody, you know, like our our as you exactly say correctly, our ambassadors, whatever, just go and try to screw things up and do it every way you can. And if you win, great. And if you don't, fine. You know, the point is that like. Your, your mission is to screw things up. And we should be like telling our guys like, yeah, go take some risks. Stop the misinformation. Go talk about it. Share your opinions. Get other people to share their opinions. Go find young influencers and talk to them and tell them that you care and be passionate about why you got into this. Because man, like we, everybody in this town, really like 70, 80% of them, the people that they're like me, they got into this because they believe in the United States. They believe in democracy. They believe in the rule of law. And then you get into the whole shtick and you're told okay now you need to shut up and never say anything again like what right. you know right very democratic right like just be quiet oh my uh, god i mean we we do more censoring 
of our most patriotic people in the West than anybody could do anywhere. I mean, it's 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 just it's unbelievable. And, and then I mean, the people that, that don't is, respect rule of law will speak anyway because they don't care about the rules, right? Of course, yeah. And it's not; it has nothing to do with the rule of law. Even it's always just we're so risk averse, we're terrified of making a mistake, we're terrified of minor embarrassment. You know, it's kind of like it's late Soviet style. It's like when you mm-hmm. when you talk about the late Soviet Union, it's always like people rose in the Soviet Union by basically passing the buck and shifting blame, and you'd get to the top by by pointing the finger at others. And that's what our systems have become. We're just endless. We're all so terrified of, you know, saying the wrong thing and being canceled and stuff like that. The reality is, you know, we just need to get out there and start talking. You know, you need to get out there. You need to start talking. You need to throw caution to the wind. You need to do stuff because I think that we are at a fragile moment and there are a lot of people think, okay, because we're at a fragile moment, we have to be extra careful. Wrong. That's what got us here in the first place. That has been the last 30 years. We, because we're at a fragile moment, we have to be extra gung-ho. We have to be out there. We have to be fighting for it and protecting it now more than ever. And we need to start taking some risks because the, the cautious approach has got us into this situation. I think that's a perfect note to finish on. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you want to add? No, I'd just like to say, Paul, you're amazing. I would say that now. I, when The first time I saw your banner on your um, thing with the... Uh, you know, with the Paul M fella with a cup of coffee, it's like Paul never sleeps. And I just thought, <laughs> yeah, we we need more of these guys. Um, so it's been fantastic to listen to you. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I, I'm so glad you're doing this. God bless NAFO. I mean, I I, I NAFO gives me a lot of strength because it is there's a ton of frustrations, as you know, and you deal with the frustrations yourself. But to see so many. You know, I mean, you know, I, you, I'm sure, you know, you guys are patriots too. I mean, a lot of patriotic people, but a lot of people that, you know, we, we, we live in a, in a, in a sphere of shared values. And, and I mean, to see people so gung-ho and enthusiastic about, about promoting the values that got me into government in the first place is just so refreshing. I mean, yeah. it's so refreshing because I got to say the last, I mean, I've been in it for a decade now. And I, I mean, I think the last three decades generally have just been so cynical. Um, and we really need to, we really need to find it within ourselves to get passionate about what we believe in. Again, we've got great systems. Democracy is worth protecting our, our, our sort of world, our, our systems of government, our, our, our alliances, uh, are worth protecting and, and we need to be out there doing it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again, Paul. Well, thank you to Paul, our guest, and uh, who is our gunner this week. Finally, a guest for you. And hopefully, well, maybe next week will be me and Matt again. And then hopefully the week after that, we'll have a guest. Oh, no. Wait. No, we have yeah. a guest. Yes. We have a guest next week. Okay. You've got a guest on again, aren't you? Lucky? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but thank you to Paul. And yeah. Yeah, that you, was, um, he was very passionate. And um, yeah, it's been, it was a pleasure to just, just to listen, actually. So. Um, I, I really wish we had a bit more time because there were some things he said. I was like, oh, no, but I have more questions. But it's like, I knew he had to go. I was like, yeah, yeah. For maybe okay. another time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I disagreed with him on one point. He said about, um, uh, I don't think Twitter's for analysis. And I think there's room for both, personally. Okay. I think there is space for both. And uh, okay. like lengthy threads and this. And I would like him to, I would like him to tweet like he spoke today. This is my takeaway. This yes. is my takeaway yeah. today. 
yeah yeah and i think that, that is what he what we need to do uh, my my shout out is um death from above um it's on steam i'm a patron um go and buy it leave a positive review um it's a fantastic game you can pick up washing machines uh, retrieve washing machines from the vatniks you can then go and drop bombs on the vatniks um learn how to fly a drone absolutely brilliant go and get I... it from steam go and get it from steam go and get it my shout out is a go donate to the Le the the Georgian Legion. They're having a fundraiser right now. It might okay. still be going on. Oh no, it's twenty four hours. So it'll probably be gone. Donate okay. to the Legion anyway. Doesn't matter. Yes, Always donate just do it. Legion. Just do it. Yeah. Um, well, we've we've heard that um, you'll be donating to a historical figure, um, yeah. Mamuka, who, if Paul holds him in high regard, then uh, that's a very huge compliment, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. Right. I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you, Matt.